Welcome to the Key Wealth Matters podcast, a series of candid conversations with leading experts about how individuals and organizations can grow and protect their finances, tailored around current events and trends. Here's your host for today's podcast, Brian Peterangelo. Welcome to the Key Wealth Matters weekly podcast, where we casually ramble on about important topics, including the markets, the economy, human ingenuity, and almost anything under the sun, giving you the keys to unlock the mysteries of the markets and investing. Today is Friday, June 17th, 2022. I'm Brian Peterangelo, and today is actually in between two holidays. Tuesday this week celebrated Flag Day to commemorate the creation of the U.S. flag back in 1777 during the American Revolution unification of our soldiers. Also, this coming Monday marks the observation of a new federal holiday, Juneteenth, representing June 19th and the emancipation of enslaved African Americans in the U.S. in 1865. With me today, I'd like to introduce our team of investing experts here to provide their insights on this week's market activity. George Mateo, Chief Investment Officer, Steve Haight, Head of Equities, and Cindy Honcharenko, Senior Fixed Income Portfolio Manager. As a reminder, a lot of great content is available on key.com slash wealth insights, including updates from our Wealth Institute on many different subjects, and especially our Key Questions article series addressing a relevant topic for investors each Wednesday. And this particular week's Key Questions article actually has a recommended summer reading list. You might want to take a look at that from our experts and what they're reading these days. Very entertaining. So we've got three major topics for this week that include economic data releases, the Federal Open Market Committee meeting, which we'll spend some time on, and also some of the stock market volatility. So in terms of the economic data release this week, we've got housing slowing a little bit, including housing starts for May down about 14% month over month, building permits down 7%. National Association of Home Builders confidence in June also fell to the lowest level in two years. And all of this sort of coming around the fact that average 30-year mortgage rates are at 5.78%, the highest since 2008. In addition, retail sales slowed a little bit, the first negative monthly reading since December of 2021. PPI or the producer price index was up fairly significantly at 10.8% year over year. And then we've got some other Atlanta Fed GDP now predictions for Q2 GDP is roughly at a flat zero in terms of what we think is going on or what they think is going on with respect to the overall GDP and the economy in the United States. Initial claims were basically where they've been for a couple weeks. And then we've got the opportunity to talk about the Federal Open Market Committee meeting and market volatility. So George, let's start with you in this particular day. What are your thoughts on the overall economic data as we end the week. Yeah, what a week it was, Brian. Um, you know, I'm not sure exactly where to start, but maybe just to kind of recap some of the economic readings. It seems to suggest that uh, things are slowing pretty rapidly. Uh, retail sales down about 30 basis points or um, three-tenths of 1% month over month. Year over year, they're still up some 8%, so still positive, but things are sliding a little bit. Um, noticed that furniture in particular is down, and that maybe is a kind of a harbinger for what's happening with people's migration away from staying at home and, and that type of thing. Grocery sales, grocery, you know, food and things like that were actually positive, uh, hugely so, in the sense there's a big pop-up in, in grocery sales. Some of that probably is pricing for sure, but uh, again, it does reflect a really interesting change in, in consumer behavior and services is also quite good, uh, quite strong, particularly airline from what I could see. Housing starts, you know, again, probably another um, early indicator of what's happening with the economy uh, shrunk 14%. Um, I think there's probably some 
uh, noise in those numbers with respect to what's happening with demand, but it gets to suggest that things are slowing as mortgage rates are really backed up. And then jobless claims, which is kind of a key thing to watch with respect to the employment situation actually fell month, uh, sorry, week over week rather. Um, it's still kind of where it was just a few months ago or so. So it does suggest that the employment situation is getting a little less favorable, but it's still pretty strong overall. But um, you know, you put all these things together and you get a really complicated environment for central banks for sure. Um, you know, again, I think there's still a lot of noise in the numbers with what's happened uh, post-pandemic. We're still probably seeing some aftershocks there in terms of really where the economy is trying to level out. And now the Fed is still trying to play catch up and really just kind of figure out where things are right now. So again, that was kind of the backdrop that kind of got us through this week in terms of the numbers underneath the hood a little bit. But of course, I think the main event was what happened um, with central banks, not only the Fed, but other banks around the world. We'll talk about that maybe a minute this morning. But Cindy, let me bring you in the conversation. You know, the Fed had a lot to say this week and did quite a lot. What did you take away from this week? Well, the bottom line for me is uh, the Fed raised their target rate 75 uh, percentage points. Uh, the new range is one and a half to 175. Uh, this is the largest rate hike since 1994. And I feel like Powell hedged. Basically, they, they took the free option of hiking 75 basis points at this meeting. And that's largely because after the CPI number on Friday, the markets basically told them you're going 75. And the, basically the last few meetings, that seems to be what the, the Fed's taking direction from the markets. And uh, the, the summary of economic projections showed the Fed funds midpoint at 3.375 at the end of 2022. Uh, it's mostly in line with most forecasts, but now we're starting to see some economists come in and say, no, we see that more for four and a quarter. Uh, so, uh, and that would mean that we've got a 75 basis point hike at the July meeting, because we know that inflation numbers and labor numbers, they're not going to come down to where the Fed needs them to be. Uh, so expect a 75 basis point hike in July. It's looking like 50 basis points in September and 25 November, 25 December. Although those economists that are saying the, the terminal Fed funds rate by the end of 2022 is around 4%, four and a quarter, they're tacking an extra 25 basis points onto those, those last couple of meetings this year. So uh, I expect more volatility uh, the Fed's telling us, follow the data, not the guidance, because apparently what, the guidance. What, what guidance? <laughs> what guidance? I mean, this is a clown show, Cindy. This has been I, a clown show for the last week. I mean, if you look at last Friday or late last week, Powell said, no way, 75 basis points is off the table. And then we get the CPI print. And the market tells him he's got to do it, so he does it. And then there's rumors that they could have gone 100. And then we got the Swiss Central Bank coming in this week with a with one guy on the on on the street predicting a 25 basis point increase, and literally every other economist saying zero. And they did 50. I mean, it is a central bank clown show. Nobody likes uncertainty in the market, and we've never had central banks that have given us more uncertainty than what we've got today. It's no 
great shakes that that equities have had uh, had an incredibly rough week in that tape i'm i mean i'm just i'm fascinated by it but at the same time i mean i i, I have no idea what to make of it it's like they've completely lost control i would agree with that the only central bank so far that's been to you know true to their word is the bank of japan with their announcement this morning so yeah, I mean, I mean, to put it in context, I think what, what you picked up on, Steve, around the Swiss National Bank, I think was really telling. I mean, this is, this is a governing body, basically, that has kept rates below zero for 15 years or something like that. I mean, they've, they, they have a very strong currency, so they've been heavily, heavily motivated to keep rates really low, in fact, negative. And now, kind of maybe in response to what others are doing, maybe not in their own best interest, but just kind of doing what others are doing, uh, Rose you know, took their rate up, as you said, 50 basis points, which was completely unexpected. And now we have the Fed at the same time following the data. I mean, they're not really leading things. And they're, they're also following data that doesn't, you know, that they, they can't control. I mean, I think the thing that I took away from the comments uh, from the chairman and, and his press release and his press conference, rather, was... You know, they're, they're focused on, they've historically focused on this thing called PCE, right? Personal consumption expenditures. What's the consumer doing? How are they spending? You know, what kind of prices are they paying? And now they're talking about CPI overall, which includes things like food and energy. And those are big drivers. And, and most people feel that, but they can't control those things. They can't control those at all. And so I think it kind of says to me that they're becoming more politicized, even if they don't want to. Um, which is going to create perhaps even more volatility, your point, Steve. But, um, you know, at the same time, I guess if we really kind of put our emotions aside a little bit, <laughs> I think it's probably also noteworthy that the Fed is really focused on that price stability, right? They're really trying to get prices down almost to the point of acknowledging that employment or unemployment has to come up, right? So they have to do some probably some damage to the economy. I don't know if you took anything to, to, um, to that point, Cindy, about their forecast, it seems to me like an aspiration where they can take interest rates up a lot, uh, but also unemployment only moves up a couple tenths of a percent. Is that is that just fantasy or is that um, is that attainable? I mean, again, this whole notion about a soft landing is something that people have talked about. And you know, as you wrote earlier this week, uh, any landing is a good landing so long as you land somehow on your feet. But is that is that forecast attainable? Uh, I don't think so. I think it's a long shot at this point. I believe the SCP numbers do have uh, recession baked in because the, the, the Fed knows what the risks are. And let's face it, the, I don't think the Fed is really good at predicting recession, <laughs> to be honest. So what's so maybe we should kind of look at earnings too. I mean, I was kind of surprised, Steve, that as we continue to think that earnings are going to come under some pressure, you know, given wage pressures, given margin constraints, you know, maybe demand softly now a little bit. I just saw some numbers this morning that suggested that earnings actually, you know, got revised higher this past week. Maybe yeah. not by a lot, but you know, they went up a couple couple of ticks. When you look at the economic data and you listen to what companies that are especially in the in the in the retail channel are talking about when it in, when it comes to margins i mean it's very clear to me that inflation is having an impact on margins so wage pressures and cost pressures 
are not 100% pass throughable to the end consumer in the current environment. And it, and it doesn't really matter where you're at in the supply chain. So I see this as a recipe for earnings numbers to come down as we move through the second half of the year. If you look historically, earnings numbers for the S&P as we've moved into a recession, and now that you know, making the assumption that that's likely going to be the case at some point in the in in the future here, um, is anywhere between say a twenty to twenty five percent decline on the low end, so that's a typical run of the mill recession to a fifty percent decline if you're in a two thousand and eight scenario. Okay, now we don't think it's a two thousand eight scenario. The economy's in much better shape than it was in the wake of the global financial crisis, right? But um, we've got earnings numbers that are still going up right now, not down. So like, I look at the compression that we've had in the multiple for the S&P 500 as this uh, bear market has unfolded. And it seems to me maybe investors are pricing in some cut to earnings along with that. But I, I don't know that, we're, that we've priced in the full effects of a decline in, in EPS yet. So it's gonna be very interesting to watch that unfold over the back half of the year. Um, you know, My biggest issue with the, the decline that we've had is while we've had some things kind of show that you know, the market is oversold, quote unquote, from a technical basis and we may be due for a bounce, this decline in my book has just been way too orderly. So we've not had any massive spike in volatility yet. We've not had the market really print a, a chaotic minus 5% or greater day to the downside. I mean, earlier this week, the day that we were down three and a half to 4%, literally we moved down a half percent every hour that the market was open during the day. It was like the market was going through a meat grinder. That's not the recipe recipe for uh, finding a, a bottom. That is the that is telling you that that something structural is going on in terms of adjustments of positioning. Um, so we continue to watch for just a massive spike in volatility along with one of these downside days or a, a, a couple downside days um, in order to try to tell us that you know the that the that a near term tactical trading low is in. Doesn't mean we can't bounce. We can obviously bounce given how stretched things are to the downside. But but man, I'm I'm kind of shocked we have not seen a blow off in volatility. So Steve, if we combine your comments on earnings that you just mentioned and we go back to Cindy's comments on raising the terminal rate from the Fed funds rate up to 375, four, something in that vicinity, the current 10 years at about 324. So that pretty much points to an inverted yield curve and the possibility for a recession. Uh, what are all of your thoughts, George, uh, Cindy, and, and and Steve? Yeah, I guess the, the risks are are rising. I think um, <clears throat> I think it's still possible that we can sidestep one this year. I, I know that sentiment's getting kind of negative. You've got many people talking about recessions more and more. Um, I guess I would kind of point out, though, that as he pointed out, a lot of the damage to the equity market might have been done. So maybe there's some more downside uh, yet to come. But even in recessions, Brian, you know, what we typically see is um, stocks fall, I don't know, 25, 30%, which isn't all that pleasant for sure. We're down roughly 20%. So we've kind of covered a lot of ground already and seen a lot of downside and, and assets getting repriced. And, and Steve mentioned valuations have come down more so than earnings. Um, 
But then usually the returns going forward, you know, kind of in and out of recession are quite positive. Uh, in fact, they're, they're really kind of significantly positive. And if anything, I would note that markets turn ahead of the economy. So even as if numbers on the economic front weaken, um, it wouldn't be surprising to see maybe stocks stabilize at some point. Yeah, they could have some more volatility. And as I think Steve rightly has said, this is going to be a pretty choppy summer, given some other geopolitical events um, that we've covered on various conversations. But prospectively, you know, again, we don't we don't know if we we don't know the bottom until it's already passed. I guess I would say. And it's not surprising to see markets move in anticipation and even ahead of that a little bit. We've kind of seen that already, stocks down, the economy's actually doing pretty well so far, but if things get a little worse, yeah, that provides some headwinds, but typically stocks move um, kind of ahead of that recovery. So that's one thing that I would kind of point out a little bit to, um, to our listeners to keep in mind that nobody can really time these things. Uh, it's a fool's error to try and do that but it typically stocks recover before the economy does. I, I would add to that, uh, that Chair Powell in his press conference noted that the Fed is doing everything they can with the inflation equation. And, and he basically sent out a shout out to our leaders in Washington that he needs, he, he, he can't, he can't control the supply side of things. So he, he, he needs some help on, on that side of that in order to combat inflation. And I'm also seeing that the consumer is now depleting their savings that they built up through COVID and they're now switching over to credit cards. So I think that we're headed down the path of a recession. We may not see, like George said, until next year, probably the second half of 2023. Uh, but I, I definitely think that if we continue down this path, recession is inevitable. The one analog to the bear market uh, information that George mentioned that, that gives me cause for concern is the 73-74 analog. So that year, we saw multiples compress with the Nifty 50, which was overvalued market leadership, which is akin to what we've seen over the last 12 months plus with technology and the, the COVID leaders. Uh, you had an oil price shock in 73, 74, uh, which led to above average inflation and an aggressive Fed. And you saw the market continue to get uh, pushed lower as opposed to the more typical bear market scenario where things, uh, things are, are rosier 12 months to 18 months hence. So that's the only thing that gives me cause to con concern here that the, that the analog that seems to have a lot of things in common with what we're experiencing today did not say this was a great time to put money to work. So hate to end on a bad note, but I mean, that's, that's just history. Yeah, I looked at that too, Steve. I mean, I mean, you're right to say that the 12, 18 month time period might be, again, full of a lot of fits and starts. But um, what I saw was, you know, even if your time horizon is a bit longer, you know, in that two to three year window, the returns thereafter are positive ones who clear this. So I think it, it does suggest, you know, what we've said along is that you've got to be prepared for volatility. You've also got to be selective with your entry points. And your point, Steve, around looking for those big 
you know, moments of volatility on the downside, that's probably when it feels the worst, it might be time to actually put a little money to work because no one's going to know how this is going to play out. No one's got the, um, the, the foresight to know exactly when things recover. But I would suggest that if you do have these big risks off moments, um, and again, your time horizon is beyond 12, 18 months or so, nibbling, I think, is not a bad idea. But uh, with that, I guess there's always you know, a silver lining somewhere, right? So George, Steve, and Cindy, thanks for your insights. We appreciate it. And thanks to our listeners for joining us today. Be sure to subscribe to the Key Wealth Matters podcast through your favorite podcast app. And as always, past performance is no guarantee of future results. And we know your financial situation is personal to you. So reach out to your relationship manager, portfolio strategist, or advisor for more information. And we'll catch up with you next week to see how the world and the markets have changed and provide those keys to help you achieve your financial success. The Key Wealth Matters podcast is produced by the Key Wealth Institute. The Key Wealth Institute is comprised of a collection of financial professionals representing key entities, including key private bank, key bank institutional advisors, key private client, and key investment services. Any opinions, projections, or recommendations contained herein are subject to change without notice and are not intended as individual investment advice. This material is presented for informational purposes only and should not be construed as individual tax or financial advice. Bank and trust products are provided by Key Bank National Association, member FDIC, and Equal Housing Lender. Key Private Bank and Key Bank Institutional Advisors are part of Key Bank. Investment products, brokerage, and investment advisory services are offered through Key Investment Services LLC or KISS, member of FINRA, SIPC, and SEC Registered Investment Advisor. Insurance products are offered through Key Corp Insurance Agency USA, Incorporated, or KIA. KISS and KIA are affiliated with Key Bank. Investment and insurance products are not FDIC insured, not bank guaranteed, may lose value, not a deposit, not insured by any federal or state government agency. KeyBank and its affiliates do not provide tax or legal advice. Individuals should consult their personal tax advisor before making any tax-related investment decisions. This content is copyrighted by KeyCorp 2022.